Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Summer at Hillhead. As you might expect, because it's summer, a lot of people are away, and I hope they're having a great time putting their feet up. I hope they haven't got quite as much rain as we seem to be having on and off here in Glasgow at the moment. I'm never quite sure which coat to wear or if to wear a coat, but whether we are online or on site, it is good to be together to worship God. This morning is a communion service, so when we get to that part of the service, it would be good if you are online, if you have something ready to eat and drink. If you're on site, we have provision for you. And as always, wherever you are, you're welcome to participate to the level that is right for you. Just one little small piece, well, significant piece of family news, but it's only one item of family news, and that's pleased to continue to keep in your thoughts and your prayers Lena's Auntie Ruta. Many of you will have met Ruta over the years when she's visited. Um, she has, she's very unwell at the moment, so we just continue to keep her and Lena and Lena's parents in our thoughts and prayers at this time. I think that's it for news for today. The other thing about summer is there isn't a lot to say. So it's over to Wendy, please, now to light our candle as we gather. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
And so let us pray together. God, who is the same yesterday, today and forever. As we gather, we do so grateful for your faithfulness to us and to all creation. As we think back over the week now ending, we pause to identify and to name in our hearts just one or two things that have brought us joy and delight, all that have energised and excited us. Also, as we look back over the week, there may be things that we now regret, things that have sapped our energy, saddened or disappointed us. And so in our hearts, we quietly offer those to you now. God, who forgives our sins, who restores and heals our souls, and whose love is everlasting. We thank you for these truths, however hard they are to accept or to understand. We thank you for this church, this diverse collection of people, drawn together by a desire to know more of Jesus and to try to live his way wherever we are. We ask that as we worship today, we may each find something to carry with us into the days ahead. Amen. Because we are out of rota, because it's summer, um, we're going to use a video of the Lord's Prayer in sign language. So I would invite you to keep your eyes open as we say the Lord's Prayer. If you know the signs, feel free to join in. If you don't, you may like to speak the words aloud in your own preferred form and language. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.
so to start off our thoughts this morning, I wonder if anybody has been watching Scotland's Home of the Year on television. Has anybody been watching? Oh, a few people have been watching that. That's good. I haven't. I have to confess. I had to look it up. So I'm going to show you some of the finalists, well, the finalists, I believe, if I got the right bit of the website. Um, so if you recognise them, you can tell us where they are and anything you think about them. If you don't, I have actually written down where they are and I know nothing about them. Okay, so this one is actually on our patch, isn't it? Does anybody know where that one is? That's right, it's just along that way a bit, yeah. It's, um, that's Kirkley Mansions in, in Glasgow, just around the corner from Jean and Walter, in fact. Um, they're neighbours, maybe. <laughs> okay, anyone like that one? Yeah, some people like that one, okay. Uh, anyone know what this one is? Or what it is? It is, it's the old manse, the old, old A-U-L-D, manse in Octorada. Um, yeah, I'm glad I don't have to look after that garden, but that, that kitchen is almost as good as mine for entertaining. I, I think mine's pretty ace for entertaining. Yep, so that was one of them. Um, very modern one, this one. <laughs> is that a little vote coming from Killian there? Because that's actually Emma's neck of the woods, isn't it? That's... Um, that's in Aberdeen. That is Snowdrop House. Um, I'm guessing that's an architect-designed house. It has that, that... You think it's a house rather than a home. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, how about this one, then? Do you like that one? Yeah. See, I see on the outside, that doesn't do much for me, but it looks like it's lovely inside. Yeah. Anyone know where that one is? It's on Sky, and that is called Loch Bay. Um, this, is, this one only has internal pictures. Now, that would be my dream kitchen for entertaining, I have to confess. Um, although I wouldn't like to have to clean all those floors and things, because I'm a terrible housekeeper. Anybody know where that one was? So that one was in Peebles, and it's called the Manor House. It's huge, isn't it? It's huge, that figures. And then, anybody who watched it remember who the winner was? No! No! <laughs> Okay, close your eyes and shut your ears. <laughs> right, anybody who doesn't want to know, look away now, as they say on the sports. Okay, right, so when, I'm not going to say where it is, but this was the winner. It wasn't the one that everybody thought was going to win. And that's, what, and that's what it looks like on the outside. And now I'm going to take it off because I, I do not want to be guilty of the total spoiler. I've done a pretty good spoiler there, but okay, you may open your eyes and look again now. I should have checked that before I did it. So interesting, isn't it? What constitutes somebody's ideal home? What would be the home of the year? As you know, I'm in the process of preparing to move house at the moment, and I'm going to this rather strange situation of doing two half-time jobs, one in Manchester and one in Crewe, and I'm going to be living in Crewe, working for a church who have rented out their manse. And we are doing that lovely, fun job that some of us remember from when I moved here of play Hunt the House. So I had to think, what's essential for the house? So number one for me, got to be pet-friendly. Anything else is kind of secondary. The cats have got to have a home. But I wonder for you, what would be your essentials? And if you want to unmute and call out or write in the chat, or if you want to call out in the room, what would be the essentials of your... Oh, Paul, straight in there. Go for good, it, Paul. Good lighting for art. 
Good lighting for art. Brilliant. Thank you. Yep. So the lighting is really important if you, if you like to do art. What else would be important? It can be anything. Lizzie? Two bathrooms. Two bathrooms. His and hers? Yeah. Okay. His and hers bathroom. Jenny? Okay, so guest room or even a guest wing would be rather nice, wouldn't it? We're in the land of fantasy, so why not? Yeah, okay. Really interesting, isn't it? What makes our ideal house? But and Jenny touched on something earlier. I mean, what is the difference between a house and a home? It can be beautiful. It can have everything we think we need. But what makes it a home? And... Sorry, Jenny, you were saying something? I, I think it's a home has things from your family, your past, your present, things. It, it, it speaks about you. Okay, so, so the difference about a home is it has things that are yours, from your family, from your past, from your present. It speaks about you. Trust me, mine speaks about me as being a terrible housekeeper at the moment. <laughs> I have my carpet shampoo already before I move out to try and make the carpets, which are 20 years old, look okay. Yep, so things that make it about us. Anything else that makes it a home or not a home for other people? Somewhere you feel safe. Somewhere you feel safe. Brilliant, Lizzie. I think that's really important, isn't it? That it's somewhere that we can feel safe, where we can be who we really are, where we don't have to pretend, where we don't have to worry about the words that will be spoken to us or, or other things that might be done to us. So thank you. Really important. So... This is kind of where we're going a little bit today. And, and, and I'm, of course, I have to make a leap to church because that's what you pay me for. Well, actually, no, you pay me not to go to work, but, you know, we'll not get into semantics today. What is it about a church? And I don't need you to call this one out. I just want you to start thinking about this. What about a church makes it into our spiritual home? What makes it the place that is safe enough, that we can welcome friends in, that has, I don't know, the bits and bobs that make it us around us? What makes our church a spiritual home? And as we think about that, we're going to sing our next song. Thanks, Paul. Oh, that is right. 
reading from John's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at the first verse. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. With just six more services to preach at Hillhead, I've spent quite a lot of time thinking, what should I focus on and why? And as I looked at different alternatives, I looked at the lectionary, I thought about themes, I thought about all sorts of different things, the same idea just came coming back. And that is this portion of John's Gospel, chapters 14 to 17, that are sometimes called the farewell discourses. Collected by the writer in what seems to be a single narrative, they appear to be the things that Jesus shared with his closest friends 
in the hours between predicting Peter's denial and his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, whether that is historically accurate, which frankly is unlikely, or whether it's a carefully curated selection of Jesus' teaching delivered over an extended period, which seems far more likely, what really matters is that according to the writer, these were things that they thought it was really important to share that Jesus said to his friends before he left them. So rather than thinking, what do I want to say to Hellhead Baptist Church and can I find the Bible stories to fit that? I've tried as best I can to reflect on what did Jesus say to his friends and what might that have to say to us in our last few weeks together and maybe beyond that? The first part of John 14 is very often used at funeral services because the idea of Jesus going ahead and preparing an eternal dwelling place for loved ones is, for many people, very comforting. The thought that the people we've loved will find an ideal home just right for their needs and their preferences is understandably very attractive. And certainly at a straightforward surface level reading of the opening verses of the chapter, that's what we see. Jesus is trying to comfort his friends who are really worried and upset at the idea that he's going to leave them. He's told them he's going to leave them. They don't know what it means, but it upsets and worries them. But actually, it does the exact opposite. They're puzzled. They can't make sense of what he's saying. And both Thomas and Philip are recorded as voicing questions and bewilderment on behalf of their companions. What are you on about, Jesus? What does any of this mean? How can we know where we're going? How can we know what this looks like? Now, this morning, I am not going to try to get into any of the metaphysics or any of the supernatural ponderings. I just want to go right back to the very beginning of what Jesus says. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Or in older translations of the scripture, many mansions, and in some modern-day English translations, many rooms. One of the challenges we have when we try to read ancient texts is that our context and our use of words can be quite different from what the people 2,000 years ago would have understood. In English, just as the same as in Greek and in Hebrew and maybe other languages, because I just don't know, but it could well be the same, the same word house can mean a physical building in which people dwell and a household, a group of people who live in the same building or the same complex of buildings and a line of descent, a family tree, if you like. We talk about Jesus of being of the house and line of David. So what on earth, or in heaven for that matter, does Jesus mean when he refers to his father's house? Is it a physical building? Is it a household, including servants and slaves, as it would have been at that time, as well as a range of blood relatives under the patronage of a paterfamiliaris? Or is it a family line? Is it about descendants? Well, any of them could make sense. 
But I today kind of want to lean towards the middle option. That this is a diverse group of people whose lives are interconnected. And then also a bit of the third option, that it continues through time. We have forebears and we will have people who follow on through us. I think Jesus here is speaking about unity in diversity, about people who are very different and yet who have things in common. We know both from scripture and from history that the early church struggled to adjust to the reality that there were believers in Jesus who had a different ethnic and religious background from their own. The whole thing about whether Gentiles, which is actually a word that just means all the other nations, could be counted in, and if they could be counted in, what they had to do. We know that some believers in Jesus were very high class and wealthy. We think of people perhaps like Lydia, who was a dealer in purple, people who had houses and households where people could gather. And others were working class or low class, to use our language, the artisans, the peasants, the servants, and yes, the slaves. And a lot of what St. Paul writes about the communion actually comes out of the problems that arose in a household where there were rich people who could come and have dinner and there were other people who were still out working and arrived after dinner had been eaten. These people wouldn't and couldn't ever agree on everything, yet Jesus says, these are my father's house, these are my family, this is the family of God. I think Jesus is speaking about continuity, that this will be a line of people that stretches through time, connected not by genetics or geography, and not by doctrine or dogma, but because of a shared commitment to the God who they've encountered in the first days in Jesus the man, and over time in Jesus revealed in the scripture, and encountered through the body of Christ as we call it, the church. People who are connected by a desire and determination to live out their faith as best as they can understand it in their own place and their own time. In my family, in the line and household of God called the Father, there are many dwelling places. We began by thinking about ideal homes, about what makes a house a home, what we need and what is nice. My ideal home wouldn't be your ideal home. And none of us have an ideal home that would suit everybody. But every home is good for somebody. So what if we were to read this saying of Jesus as a celebration of diversity, not just within the individuals, but between local communities of faith. What if the many dwellings could be imagined as different Christian traditions, different Christian denominations, denominations, how are you supposed to say it, if you like? Or even what if the many dwellings were the different congregations within those denominations? What if it might mean that for God, 
Unity is about diversity and not about structural union or uniformity. What if God's grace is broad enough to embrace different understandings of what it means to follow Jesus? What if what Jesus is describing here actually in some way anticipates by 20 centuries what will come to be known amongst Baptists as the Declaration of Principle, which states that each church, each congregation, is at liberty under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret and administer Christ's laws. In my family, in the line and household of God called the Father, there are many dwelling places, each unique and precious. And not one of them has all the truth, but each one of them at its best is a community of hope, grace, faith, and love. If it wasn't true, Jesus said to his friends, if it wasn't true, would I have told you that I go ahead of you to prepare the way for that to become reality? Is Jesus speaking truth or is Jesus misguided or, or worse? Like the word house, the word church has many layers of meaning. And it can, of course, refer to the buildings in which Christians gather. Although other words are used from cathedral to chapel and all the way in between. It can also refer to structures, organizations and denominations into which Christian communities align themselves with some set of rules or values or from which they emerge. So we have the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Church of Scotland, the Church of England, the Church in Wales, and goodness knows how many Baptist varieties across the planet. And of course, it refers to those groups of people who gather together in various kinds of community to share and express their faith. And more than any of that, and here is the real mystery, it transcends geography, demography, theology, chronology, eschatology, or any other ology you care to think of. The church exists both within time and space and beyond either of those. The church is one and yet it is many. Its unity exists and can exist only in its diversity. If this is true, and I believe it is, then actually Jesus is saying something very special to the frightened, worried men who'd thrown in their lot with him. 
And he says something very special to this church, Hillhead Baptist Church, in a time of challenge and change. And he says it to each of us as individuals doing our best to follow in his way. You are my family, just as you are, with your questions and your worries, with your faith and your unbelief. There is space for you, just as you are. A place that's right for you. A place where you can flourish and you can grow. Maybe the question for each of us is, do we want to be part of that and what will we do to make the hope a reality? Let us pray. Jesus, you shared with your followers the mysterious and beautiful image, perhaps of a many-roomed mansion, perhaps of a village, a town, or a city, with all shapes and sizes of dwelling places. Whatever you had in mind, and however we imagine it, your promise is still the same. We are welcomed into your family, into the household of the God who delights in us and who calls us to walk with Jesus day by day. Help us to believe this truth and may it encourage and empower us for whatever lies ahead. Amen.
you will have spotted it says on your orders of service, prayers, or prayers for others, brackets, interactive. And then I forgot to tell you what I was planning when I sent the emails out, so I've had to rethink. So breathe a sigh of relief. It's less interactive than it might have been. Uh, There is a God somewhere out there who who loves those of you who hate things interactive. If you are on site, you should have a little piece of paper and pen on your seat. If you happen to have added a seat at the back, you won't, so you'll have to come to the front to get one, if you would like one. Oh, you're very kind, Edith, thank you. Um, If you're online, you are very welcome, if you wish to, to type um, things into the chat the only people who can see that chat are myself and the co-hosts. It doesn't go on screen. It's not publicly shared. Um, and I suspect the co-host won't even look at the chat, so that's fine. It will effectively be private. So I'd like us, first of all, to think about something in the news this week that has struck us, that we would like to offer to God in prayer. And if you would like to symbolise, write, or draw that, or add it to the chat then please feel free to do so. If there's more than one thing, you can do that as well. Maybe there is something that is on your mind, something that worries you, something that excites you, something that brings you hope or fear, whatever it is, if you would find it helpful to symbolise or write or draw that as you bring it to God, you're invited to do so now. (coughs) I'm going to move now into more familiar territory for our prayers but if there is something as we go through you would like to symbolize or write on your piece of paper feel free to do so but there is no obligation to write or or type anything at this point so we bring to god the churches of the baptist union of scotland and this week we are especially asked to think about hoyck helensborough high blantyre and Hillhead Baptist Church. People pray for us as we pray for them. BMS World Mission focused particularly on Chad. And I read these words from their prayer diary. The Chadian population continues facing severe economic social, political, educational, health and human development problems. Please pray that the consistent health work performed by our partners at the Guinebor 2 Hospital in the capital in Jemena and the Bardai Hospital will continue to bring positive results. Among our church community, this week we pray especially for Graham L, Stuart and Perio, Lizzie and Johnny, Willie and Valerie, Holly and George, 
Sheila, Heather, Kurt and Duncan, Liz and Douglas, Graham and Charlie. And of course, today we pray especially for Lena's auntie Ruta, for Lena, her parents, and for the wider family. If you are on site and you would like to, I invite you to fold up your piece of paper so that nobody can see what it is. And then this is the courageous bit, to bring it and place it by the little house that is on the communion table. If you prefer not to, that is absolutely fine too. Loving God, enfold in your love all those for whom we have prayed. May they each find welcome in your household here on earth and hope for whatever the future may hold. Amen. Isaiah we read, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained and clear. The God, sorry, and God will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all people, the covering that spreads over all the nations, God will swallow up death forever. 
So come, members of the household of God. Come from your many dwelling places to the banqueting hall where a feast is made ready, a heavenly banquet prepared for all people. Come, siblings in Christ. Come with your faith and your doubt, your power and your vulnerability, for all is made ready. A foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all people. Three gospel writers record it. One apostle writes about how he heard it. The church has formalised it, and we choose to remember it. That just before his arrest, trial and execution, Jesus shared one last meal with his friends. They hired a room and prepared a feast. And they gathered, not knowing how significant the meal would become, how precious those words would prove to be. Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and said something like this. This represents my body, which will be broken for you. Every time you sit down to eat, think about me. Later, he picked up a cup of wine and said something like this. This represents my blood, spilled as a sin offering, sealing a new covenant between God and all creation. When you have a glass of wine, remember me. And so with that in mind, let's pray. Great God, parent of all, we thank you that we are always welcome at your table because you love us just as we are. Eternal Christ, saviour of all, we thank you for giving us this special way of remembering all you taught and all you are. Spirit of truth, comforter and companion, we thank you for your constant presence in the whole of life. Triune God, we thank you for this bread and for this wine and for the mystery of our interconnectedness within and beyond time and space. As we eat and drink together, grant to us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all. Amen. So Jesus took the bread, broke it, and shared it with his friends. A feast for all. As part of our endeavour to make this a place where all are welcome, we have gluten-free bread, and we have bits cut up and bits to break. And that doesn't sound liturgically very beautiful, but that's kind of what communion is about. It's messy and confusing, and yet 
we encounter something of God as we share. At the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and said this was a symbol of a new covenant, a new promise, a new or renewed relationship between God and humanity, between God and creation, and I guess therefore between humanity and the rest of creation. It's also a sign of our unity with each other, with those who have gone before us and those who will come after us. And so we will retain our glasses that we can drink together. It always fascinates me how we work practicality and theology into each other. The temperance movement amongst Protestant nonconformity led to us having these little glasses. And so we evolved a symbol to say we are together. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the Baptist Assembly. I want you to imagine a thousand people doing that all at once. And then multiply that, because that is the vision that holds us together. We are the body of Christ. Let us drink together in faith and thanksgiving. Gracious God, lover of all, we are one family in Christ your Son and one in the communion of your Spirit. Help us to grow in love for one another and to come to the full maturity of the body of Christ. We make our prayer through your Son our saviour, sibling and friend. Amen.
Go with us, God, as we part to return to our everyday lives. Go with us, Christ, as our companion on the way. Go with us, gentle spirit, comforter and wise counsellor. Go with us, God, our parent, our saviour and our home. Amen. <laughs>